You're listening to Ingenuism's Silicon Valley Examined, where we delve into how the tech industry is helping create progress at the speed of thought. I'm Dom Watkins. With me, as always, is Robert Hendershot. All right, you're on. Welcome back. It's good to be back. So uh, you were in Israel, I think like a week, maybe two weeks ago. A week and, ago. And yeah. um, I remember uh, I was visiting Colorado and talking to a guy who asked me, why do you think it is that Israel has such a high preponderance of innovation for such a small country? And my, the first thing I said to him is, Iran is the person to ask about that. So I thought maybe we could talk about that right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a good question. Um, and people have given a lot of explanations. Uh, it's, um, you know, well, it's first of all, can you say a little bit about like yeah. when Israel started um, kind of getting to the frontier of innovation and uh, maybe some of the facts that people aren't even aware of that it's quite a um, productive place? Yeah, I mean, it's it started really started in sometime in the mid, I'd say early to mid 80s, together with, I'd say in parallel with the, with the boom in technology uh, in the US, they just started in a small scale. Uh, Microsoft was early into Israel in terms of setting up an office there and hiring people there. Intel was as well. I, in a previous life, I was a construction, I was in construction, I was a civil engineer, and I was on the staff representing Intel that uh, supervised the construction of Intel's, the first clean room in Israel uh, that was in an Intel plant uh, just outside of Haifa. Uh, so I remember those days, there was, a, there, was a, there was a high-tech park right outside of Haifa where the first, and a lot of the high-tech industry back then, somewhat like today, was focused on uh, security, was focused on uh, weapons development and things like that. But there was already a beginnings of, I think, uh, innovation. Uh, you know, laser printers were, were really invented and commercialized in Israel. Uh, and then kind of the technology was exported to HP and others. Um, so and that happened in the, in, in the 80s, early 90s. So it really started then, but it really exploded in the 2000s. And, and today, Israel... Uh, on a per capita basis uh, is, is probably the most innovative place uh, maybe in the world or at least outside of Silicon Valley in terms of startups, technology, unicorns, and it's primarily in technology. So it's, it's uh, and it has, I think it's a foreign country with the most listings on the NASDAQ. So more, more Israeli companies have gone public in the US markets and I think any other country, or at least that was true a while ago. So uh, it, it's incredibly innovative. A lot of the technologies you know and you use without thinking uh, were made in Israel. Uh, somebody once did, what, what, if, what if Israel was boycotted? You know, because there's always calls for to boycott Israel. Well, it turns out you can't, no computer in the world could you use because the components in the computers pretty much ubiquitous that are made in Israel. There's a bunch of technology on um in terms of uh, the internet, that that is uh, that is Israeli technology, the you know uh, apps like Waze, uh, which is now owned by Google, but it was started by a couple of guys in Israel. Um, Use that today. Yeah, Waze is is of all of them the best. And 
So it, it's, it, it, you know, a lot of the technology now for self-driving cars is coming out of Israel. The, 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 you know, the selling into the European auto company markets and into the US auto markets. Um, and on and on you go. American companies are buying Israeli companies, venture capitalists, American venture capitalists. Uh, opened offices in Israel pretty early on and um, I mean investing heavily and and made a lot of profits on Israeli companies. So this has been going on for uh, you know 30 plus years. It's particularly been going both going amazingly strong over the last 20 years. Uh, Israel went from a relatively poor country when I was growing up, a very socialist country to a fairly rich country. it's it's a it went from developing to developed in the sense of in the categories that countries are associated with. And when you drive to Tel Aviv, I mean, it's stunning that the skyscrapers, the, the, the energy, uh, if, uh, just outside of Tel Aviv, there's a place called Herzliya where most of the startups are. Uh, and uh, it, it, there's a lot of, a lot of exciting technologies. I, it, oh, maybe the area where Israel's strongest is, cyber technology i mean it's it's uh, encryption and and counter encryption sometimes to people's detriments they you know they have the technology that allows the nsa and other agencies to spy on us and to you know to break into an iphone uh iphone is probably one of the most secure things you have and there is really companies that develop software that can break into that so they're very very good at these things and 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 the achievements are amazing enough to, you know, given the size of the country. Well, yeah. And so that's, I think, part of what's so surprising about it, right? Like we, we talk about how, you know, Silicon Valley is taking some of the most talented people from America and the world. Yeah. There's so much immigration there. Now, I mean, Israel has a lot of immigration for relatively speaking, but what, what do you think is the factor that explains how a country where, you know, you can't draw like you're not drawing the best 1% from 7 billion Whole people. World. Yeah. Yeah. You're drawing the top people from the Jewish world, but only the Jews who want to move to Israel. Right. So it's not all Jews. Right. And the fact is I, I was, I was just in Israel and for the first time uh, I talked to an Arab, not for the first time I talked to an Arab, but the first time <laughs> this topic came up when I talked to an Arab in Israel. And he said that, so first it's amazing that uh, in the North of Israel, almost all the doctors are Arabs. So, uh, you know, so if you go in my city, Haifa, and the hospital, my father worked in Rambam, over uh, about half the doctors are Arabs. And they're good, right? This, so this is not, this is, these are really good doctors. Israel is a very competitive place for doctors. So, um, but the other field that Arabs are going into is also uh, high tech because there's so many opportunities. So it's not just the Jews there. It's also, it's also that. So there's, something in the culture uh, in Israel that, that makes this possible. Now, immigration is part of it. You do get really, really talented people coming in. Uh, there was, for example, a migration in the early 90s of a lot of Russian Jews into Israel, and many of them held advanced degrees, and many of them were super talented. And that talent was, of course, very constrained and very restrained in Russia. They couldn't do much with it. Um, in the Soviet Union. And then when they came to Israel, suddenly they had the freedom to do stuff with it. So there's definitely an impact of immigration. You know, a lot of people point to the army. Um, you know, there's a, Israel has an existential need to, um, to have advanced technology uh, for the army, for intelligence. And every Israeli goes into the army and the army has emphasized 
this orientation towards technology from pretty early on. So they get well-trained in practical application of technology and deep science. And then they leave the army and they start companies. And that's definitely a path. So this, in a way, the existential threat Israel places is placed in creates a, a real emphasis and a real uh, uh, desire to build these technologies. And then if you've got, if you bring in the talent, uh, you can do amazing things. And in the army, they're giving free reign to explore, to fail, to innovate, to do all the things we know we've talked about from ingenuism that can be successful. So even a market, of, in, even in the army in Israel, in a very supposedly regimented place, in the, for ingenuity, they're giving that freedom to explore and innovate and, and to fail. Well, of course, I mean, that same thing happened early on in Silicon Valley, right? Like a lot of the early businesses were government contractors, defense contractors that kind of pooled the talent in there mm -hmm. and uh, eventually went on and did more consumer side stuff. But we, we usually don't talk about that part of the history. Yes. And of course, there are all the people who claim the internet was invented by government and so on. And there's an element of truth there in the sense that government did invest in these technologies, primarily through the university system, primarily through security for security reasons. So security is a, a major source of innovation. Uh, the, the, there's a real, uh, and when done properly, you create within the military context or within the self-defense context, a space that allows people to really innovate. So Israel has been very good at doing that. Uh, there's also the fact that early on, the government realized that tech was important and backed away, uh, reduced taxes, uh, but also backed away in terms of letting the venture capital community do its thing and letting startups do its thing. So this element of environment and this element of freedom were very much there. But I actually think there's a deeper cause and, 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 and it relates to kind of the culture and the people in Israel. And that is that, you know, we're not uh, uh, Jews in Israel. And, and maybe this is also true of the Arabs in Israel. Um, <laughs> we're not particularly satisfied. And we're always looking, the culture encourages betterment and the culture encourages disagreement. And this is what I think is interesting. In, in, in Israel, you're always arguing with somebody. It's just what you do, right? It's, it, maybe it's why I'm the way I am. But, you, you know, but you're always debating. You're always arguing over the dinner table, uh, you know, at the line, you know, not that there's a line ever, but at the congregation around getting on the bus. On, wherever you interact with other people, there's always some kind of argument. It's about everything from intellectual things to concrete events. But there's this acceptance of we disagree, we get very passionate about the disagreement, but it's no, you know, we're not, we're not hateful, we're not, you know, we're not tribal, we're not, you know, we just disagree. And this disagreement, this challenging one another, this pushing one another, well, show me, you know, prove to me. And 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 there is a culture of of okay, I was wrong. Great, you showed me I was wrong, you know, and, and it comes from. I think Jewish scholarship and, and the way Jews over the many centuries have kind of interacted with their religion. It's more religion of argumentation and exploration than it is a religion of dogma. Follow this, at least for some. Right. Uh, and I think that the culture has absorbed that. And I think it's that it, 
attitude of a dissatisfaction, wanting to make the world better, wanting to make your life better, combined with an openness to new ideas, an openness to argumentation, an openness to listening to somebody else, but also being passionate about your ideas. I think that is very, um, you know, it fits in this model of ingenuism. It fits into the mindset of ingenuism. And as a consequence, Israeli culture is also very um, supportive of people who innovate, people who start businesses, people who take on risks, people who do something that's different. They're not, they're not looked down upon. They're not envied quite as much. And they're not, um, they're admired in, in a way that I think in many other countries, we don't quite have that yet. Um, so it's a combination of those things. I mean, that's really interesting. And I've never heard that. But I mean, you can see, like, I think, you know, Americans are often seen as argumentative. But if you actually read about, like, or talk to CEOs in Silicon Valley, like, um, one of the things that we see again and again is how hard you have to work to get people to give honest feedback. Feedback, yeah. Yeah. Americans are known for not giving honest feedback. So, you know, one of the jokes within the Israeli community in America is when an American says something is interesting, then they have negative feedback to give you, but they're not willing to do it, right? And Israeli never says something is interesting. He says, no, that's a terrible idea. Let's look at it this way. And there's, even in the army, if your commanding officer says something or does something that you think is wrong, you're supposed to speak up. You're supposed to argue with them. They're supposed to tell them, no, this isn't. And now, at the end of the day, you have to follow orders, but you're encouraged to participate and to, uh, and to get involved and to voice an opinion. And, and I think this is particularly true in the intelligence services where a lot of this technology is developed in, in the tech area within the army. And then I think that kind of culture transfers into the actual startups and into the businesses. It's, 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 it's a collaborative effort in the best sense where people are encouraged, even the junior people, to participate, to disagree. Uh, you know, voices might be raised, but nobody's going to take that to heart. Uh, it's just a, it's just because people care and they're used to that because that's every Friday night dinner is that way. Everybody raises right. their voices and yelling at one another. And that's within a family that loves each other. So transferring that into a business, you get the same kind of effect. And I think good startups in the U.S., great managers. We've, we've, you know, I think we've talked about some of the culture in Amazon and some of the cultures and was it Zappos, I think has a famous kind of culture, a culture, cultural way you want everybody participating. You want everybody engaged. You want everybody to be able to say, stop. We're doing this wrong. Let's, let's rethink this. If you embolden, if you, if you give people the agency uh, to, to be involved like that, you get much better collaboration. You get much better results. Um, now you've talked about how there's a kind of respect for people who are engaging in risk-taking and so on. How, how would you name the attitude towards failure? So we've talked a lot about yeah. how in societies where failures very much look down upon, you get a lot less risk-taking and a lot less discovery because that's inherently involves ongoing amounts of failure and certainly the risk of going out of business and so on. What's the situation in Israel? I think it's very similar to Silicon Valley. I think the attitude towards failure, you know, is positive in the sense that, so what, right? So try, you know, try again or learn from it and figure it out and, and next time, uh, next time you can do it better. Um, you've got many serial entrepreneurs who failed at half the companies they've started um, and uh, and keep going. I don't think venture capitalists 
view it as a black mark on the contrary. They view it as a positive in the sense that you've got some experience. Uh, so it, it's a very, it, it's almost, it's, it's very much Silicon Valley. And in some senses, even more than Silicon Valley in terms of both failure and in terms of engagement and in terms of disagreement or the, the ability to voice, to, to express oneself. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where the attitude towards failure exactly comes from culturally, but it's definitely there. Uh, and again, it, it, you know, maybe it's, it's again, this notion of, uh, you know, you figure out when you're, I think a lot in Israel, a lot of the culture in Israel is shaped by the existential threat, right? You, 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 if you lost the war, you were dead, but, so you couldn't fail there, but you could, you could fail and you could experiment. You could do a lot in order to get good enough not to lose a war. So the, the, the whole attitude in the military is, is so different than at least my stereotype of the American military is. It's, it's much more relaxed, much more informal, much more allowing for self-expression and much more allowing for failure, even in the military. Uh, in 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 the context of before the war, um, well, and that's U.S. special forces are similar in that yeah. way, and that it's that's very right. much a more kind of creative. Everybody contributes, respect the. You have to, at the end of the day, you listen to your superiors, but they expect you to come and argue yep. with their decisions and so on. And I think I think Israeli military is much more like the special forces, but much more broader. I mean, I I, I was in military intelligence and. Yeah. The number of times I told my boss he was full of it, uh, you know, and, and during war and and he let me and then he would take it. He would take it. He would get his revenge once the emergency was over. But when the emergency was there, you know, he would listen. He would listen because he had to again, because it's life or death. It's 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 not a, a power game that you can play with people like you do sometimes in business. This is life or death. So you get the sense of valuing competence uh, you know, listening to the people who seem to know what they're talking about, uh, not being overly hierarchical, uh, all of that is kind of part of the culture in Israel and, and, and always, I think, has been. Do you think this cultural stuff, so you kind of rooted it in part in being in a country that's, you know, constantly in the verge of yeah. uh, being decimated by a whole bunch of hostile forces and has to, you know, fight back against it. Do you think the culture translate into the American Jewish culture? Because the kind of stereotypes, not, I don't want to cite them even yeah. to be offensive, but just the, you know, stereotype is mostly finance, doctors, lawyers, not professions that are seen as entrepreneurial mm -hmm. and risk-taking as much in the U S and certainly Silicon Valley is not seen and I don't even, I haven't seen the statistics. So I don't know how true this is, but it's like a bastion of like American Jewish culture. You know, I don't know the stats on it. So I, 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 am not sure, but, but no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different culture. It's, um, it's a safer culture. I think the, the Jewish American culture is a safer culture and therefore goes for safer professions. I mean, you, 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 you get, you, you get a law degree and, and you're smart you'll do fine, right? You, you'll go to one of the big law firms. I mean, so there is a sense of, of safety. Um, look, they, there's some phenomenal Jewish entrepreneurs in the United States, so let's not diminish that. But I don't think particularly tech entrepreneurship is what the Jewish community or the, the, the Jewish culture in America is known for. I think, you know, it, what's interesting is what happens when Israel has peace and things are calmed down and things are, what happens to Israeli culture? So, 
there's this, I, I think that now that they've seen what's possible, I think it's sustainable uh, even without the external threat. There's an element of this argumentativeness that maybe that's why they all become lawyers um, that, 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 uh, that is there that maybe is, again, channels itself differently in, in the U.S. than it does in Israel. Um, but so I don't know. I don't know how well it translates. I, I don't think it's just being Jewish. I think it's just Jewish plus. It's a Jewish culture, not being Jewish. Jewish culture plus this existential threat plus uh, this this new you know relatively new country and 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 kind of the opportunities that exist and then there's a certain sense in which it's self-perpetuating just like silicon valley kind of self-perpetuates itself uh in the culture and exports the culture in places like austin and other places as people leave and move so uh israel's tiny so th th there's nowhere else you know, people might leave to other countries, but within the country, it it, it is what it is. Um, one facet that is very striking or feature of Silicon Valley that's very striking is the optimism. Yep. And Israeli optimism is not usually a phrase that comes to mind for most people, but that could very well be wrong. So I'm curious, what's your take on, does that seem to be a factor or maybe we're seeing that optimism really isn't as important ingredient. Uh, no, I think I think Israelis are very optimistic in spite of themselves. That is, um, Israelis complain a lot. We're very good at complaining. But at the core, I think Israelis are quite positive, particularly, let's say, in the last 20 years. Particularly, I think it's a self-reinforcing mechanism. Optimism helps technology and innovation and and uh, and being uh, being ingenuous but it also as that succeeds you see the fruits of your labor you see the fruits of your attitude and that reinforces the attitude so people become more optimistic and i think over the last 20 years with the success of tech and the, and the skyscrapers in tel aviv and the, just just there's a vibrancy in israel that exudes conf confidence and optimism you know israel's done okay militarily there's no real i mean there's still an existential threat but it's it's appears to be reduced uh we'll see and then uh, so I, I actually think israel is a very optimistic society surprisingly and the best expression of that that i know of is the fact that israelis have a lot of babies um it is the only country in the western world that has above replacement, way above replacement uh, birth rate. Every other country in the world, every other Western developed world is, is in decline, including the United States. And the United States is mildly negative. Most countries are significantly negative. Israel is growing. Now you could say, well, it's a religious people. Yeah, true. But if you take out religious, then if you just look at secular Jews, they're well above replacement cost, the 2.3, 2.4, which is uh, significantly above. And they're well above the Arab population. We always think Arab population having lots of kids. No, Arab population now has fewer kids than um, th than the secular Jews, and of course the religious Jews have seven, eight kids. But that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's good for progress um, and ingenuity. But the 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 secular Jews. So I think having kids is an optimistic act, right? It's a it's an act that says I'm confident enough in the future to have 
children that are going to outlive me and in and into their future societies that are dark and pessimistic and are convinced of decline or cynical and, and skeptical don't have kids and you see that you see that as a dominant feature in the west um and so i, I think that's the one indication i have in israel that they are optimistic but also the energy the the, the, the you know tel aviv is when i was growing up had no i mean there's no nightlife in israel period but now tel aviv is like a party place it's 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 uh people travel to tel aviv to party and that's 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 new again in the last 20 years with the wealth and with the this optimistic view of the world i think that comes as well i know you're on a tight schedule but i did want to ask one more question which is um to what extent do you think the education system in israel contributes or detracts from the innovativeness so it's not very good right so you know surprisingly it does not score well on on the all the criteria and it's 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 a government-run school system government dominates the curriculum even for private schools very centralized um very non-ingenuous very non-innovative unfortunately but again culture-wise the culture among Jews in 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 Israel is very oriented towards education and very oriented towards the sciences and very oriented towards engineering and things like that and there's a big emphasis on being successful so if you're ambitious then then the resources are there to to help you do it and the culture is ambitious so 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 kind of your parents are ambitious for you and if they can they can pass that on to you that's good i mean when i graduated from high school or when i left the army and was thinking about where to go to what to do in college the options in my consciousness were were narrow right because i the way i'd grown up so you know history philosophy none of those were options they just weren't even in the universe so it was maybe law probably not medicine definitely and then engineering and science and that's it right and and you know broke my dad's heart because i didn't go to medicine but other than that you know as long as you went to engineering or science you were fine and i don't think i even realized at the time that my universe was only later uh and i don't always loved history and loved things like that but only later did i think why didn't i go study history or something like that um cuz i didn't even think of it and and nobody would even conceive of something like that it, it was not in the universe of possibilities now you know not every family is like that and not everybody but there is an emphasis on science engineering in the culture that doesn't exist in the US so much all right thanks yuran uh be sure to go to ingenuism.com sign up for the newsletter and we'll talk next time